This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Visit our website at iFlyVABeach.com to learn more about our group events to include leadership development, team building, and family fun. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I love to have discussions with guests who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know will bring great value to you and your organization. Now, my podcast is all about leadership, and I encounter people who contribute to leadership, who contribute to organizations having good leaders, having good culture, and having good operations within the company or the corporation. I encounter these people all the time. And one of the people that I've encountered over the years is Holly Duckworth. Holly is a mindfulness expert and Holly speaks and she trains and she travels and she happens to be in Virginia Beach working with a large East Coast based company. So I was able to wrangle Holly onto the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. I'm going to read Holly's bio briefly and then we're going to get into a wonderful discussion. Holly Duckworth is a trailblazing keynote speaker and applied mindful leadership advisor. As a contributor to the New York Times producer host of the Everyday Mindfulness Show and columnist to countless industry publications, she works with stressed out leaders to create peace, presence, and profits. The three Ps. I love it. Holly's career began in the world of nonprofits and volunteer leadership teaching thousands of association staff and volunteers how to reboot for success. Today, she takes the best of her strategic vision expertise, blends it with mindful leadership practices, and her event background curate experiential events that change hearts, minds, and companies. Our world has become mindless. Through mindfulness training, Holly works with you to know what mindfulness is and what it is not. Then... Apply your mindfulness techniques to produce more productive and profitable organizations. A few accolades real quick. Holly was named Meetings Today 2018 Trendsetter for her applied mindfulness work and 2016 Smart Meetings Woman of the Year. Her podcast, The Everyday Mindfulness Show, and book were named Top Resources for Mindfulness Leadership in 2018. Holly's current book, Mindful Leadership, The Stress-Free Guide to Leadership, which I've read, is a bestseller and her award-winning book, Control-Alt-Believe, Reboot Your Association for Success, has won two national awards. Holly believes mindfulness builds leaders and organizations that work for everyone. Awesome. Welcome, Holly Duckworth. 
Well, it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. This interview is a practice in mindfulness. And how do you say yes when an opportunity shows up? And when I landed in Virginia Beach, uh, drove by the Eiffel, I said, oh my gosh, I know Bob, and gave you a quick call. And and here we are. And that's that's living leadership, like take advantage of the opportunities when they come your way. So I'm glad I could be here. Uh, that's cool. So this process, this interview, this discussion is an exercise in mindfulness. Wow. What a great way to start. Expand on that just a little bit. Well, Bob, I, I love, love that you say that because I, every training program that I do, I start with something I call a moment to arrive. So I would invite your listeners, if, or if you're watching on YouTube, to do this with us. Bob, a moment to arrive is a strategy they use at Google to invite leaders and experts to take 60 seconds. And we won't do it that long today on the podcast, but just flip your phones off. Take a breath in and out and center. Come fully present wherever you are. And what Google has found by implementing this a moment to arrive in their executive leadership meetings, they've been able to shorten meetings, make them more strategic and get better outcomes because you don't have that five to seven minutes of, you know, Ted's running in and he's still on the last meeting and Mary's on the last Zoom call. Sometimes just taking that moment to arrive can be a mindfulness practice. That's pretty awesome. Um, have I arrived? <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me. <laughs> okay. I think I'm here, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. And of course, I've been in your audience in the past where you've done that exact exercise. And it really, I think what you're doing is it's that presence. It's be here and be nowhere else. It's almost like when you start a yoga class. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So how did Holly Duckworth get into the space of mindfulness? Oh, Bob, that's sort of a, a funny story. And I, I think it's so true for many of us in professional circles. You know, you say yes, and something shows up. And then you say yes, and something else shows up. And yes, we, you know, we go to school, we get, you know, these degrees and get these experiences. And we think we're on, you know, a path. Well, what we quickly learn is, the path we thought was straight has lots of curves and adventures along the way. So I was uh, meeting an event planner for one of the first chapters of my life, actually worked uh, for the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes. I know you're a big sports fan. It was a baseball team. Cool. My first job out of college was doing baseball um, through my network. I was recruited to go work for Travel Portland, which is the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Portland, Oregon. Sure. Uh, from there, I started leading meetings and conferences, conventions, everything from the U.S. Figure Skating Championship to the National Middle School Association Conference. Uh, did meeting planning for several years and then MPI, Meeting Professionals International, uh, recruited me to come work for them. And so I did association leadership for their 14 MPI volunteer chapters in the Western U.S. Wow did that till it was time to do something else. I kind of, that still small voice inside me said, these skills in leadership and volunteerism need to be offered worldwide. So I left um, MPI and started my my first company, Leadership Solutions International, which was an event planning and training company. That became the next yes, which was um, into mindfulness. And I started with my own personal mindfulness practice, training, learning, and then started infusing it into the work that I'm doing today. Is So is it more mindfulness? Are you still in the event planning space at all? 
Not directly in the event planning space. I think, you know, our loves never leave us because I'm obviously speaking and coaching at events. I'm always, always got my eye on the events space and I'm often asked to go speak into that industry. So one of the big meeting okay. event trade shows is called IMEX, the International Meetings Exchange, which is where all of the cities from all around the world come to sell their city to events. And I host a workplace wellness center there or a mindfulness center every year. Um, we offer five or six different trainings over the course of the week, and then about 15 different mindful meditations that are workplace central every single day for the course of that four-day conference. So meetings never leave you. It's critical in, in business and in organizations today, as we kind of discussed in your bio, or as I kind of read in your bio, let's go back even further. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up just south of Portland, Oregon. There's a town called Wilsonville, which is exactly between the capital, Salem, and Portland, right on I-5. I, I always joke, I, say, I grew up in a trailer park with all rights, responsibilities, and privileges <laughs> therein. And I, I like to, I'm much more comfortable sharing that now. Sure. Because I think it's important for people to to honor whether you came from the largest palace or or castle, or if you came from very humble beginnings, that you have this opportunity to grow. Uh, my dad was a machinist at Freightliner making truck parts. My mom had the privilege of staying home and raising us. Uh, but it's, you know, from that fertile soil and that that love of family that I've been able to you know, graduate high school, be the first generation college graduate, and then go on to um, make impact in the meetings industry and as a leader. You know, we all come from different beginnings and the playing field is generally level or even for everybody. And it's what you do with it. Uh, so you clearly have risen. You've taken advantage of the opportunities that were presented to you. I congratulate and applaud you on that. There's so many people who came from humble beginnings that are highly successful and influential. And most of the time, those humble beginnings are are top of mind. You know, they don't forget where they came from and they have a great appreciation for accomplishment and, and things of that nature because of the humble beginning. So, so thank you for sharing that. That's pretty cool. Let's stay back there uh, for just a second. High school jobs. What was kind of your thing, you know, getting through high school? Cause high school is a challenge for everybody. Oh, this is, this is funny. You may not even know this about me. My, my first, my first job was I was Holly Hallmark Holly Hallmark. I worked in a Hallmark, cool. Hallmark shop selling cards. And I think that's why I still have my passion today for handwritten notes, birthday cards, anniversary condolences. But I learned so much in that job about customer service and interacting with, with people in the, the times of celebration, wrapping their birthday gift for their, their firstborn, or, you know, sending it, working with somebody to get a condolences card during, during a funeral. Uh, but yeah, it was a really, really fun job for sure. Holly Hallmark. I like that. So, you know, that's going to stick with every time we talk going forward. It's, um, hey, Holly Hallmark, how you doing today? So it's going to stick. That It'll be in a text later on today. So that's cool. What university did you go to and how did you pick whatever your major was? You have so many choices coming out of, out of high school to make. And I know now that that was such a pivotal decision for me because I'm a first generation college student. I didn't know any better. You have a note here on your desk. It can be done. I, I knew anything <laughs> could be done, but I didn't have 
a Rolodex or mentors. My parents hadn't gone to school and I didn't even know what questions to ask about going to college. So I started throwing out applications here and there at that time, believe it or not, we've had a little tie here. I was interested in meteorology. Wow. I wanted to be a weather, weather girl, a weather babe. Yeah. Weather, weather <laughs> babe. My dad reminds me to this day, you know, that could be you Dylan Dreyer on, on, on the today show. Um, and I applied to local schools and I actually applied to Purdue University, big, big school at the time, not having any concept of what this was going to cost or, or anything. Um, got accepted to every school that I applied to, including Purdue. And I'll never forget that day. I well came bouncing in, handed my parents the letter and expected them to be so excited for me. And instead that energy of, yeah, you can't go there. We can't afford it came back to me and was it was devastating in the moment, but also a, a recognition. Okay, recalibrate. I um, ended up going to Merrill Hurst University, a local school, for two years. I got some of that undergraduate work out of the way, and I was working at Hallmark. And one of my my friends came in. The mom of a friend came in and said, "Holly, I think you should consider going to Linfield." Lin I could never get in there. I I don't have the grades. She looked at me and she said, "Are you kidding? Look at this massive you know experience you have and all the other schools you got into." So I made the leap, transferred into Linfield College, which is a small school in McMinnville, Oregon, which is halfway between Portland and the Oregon coast. Uh, finished my degree there, did an additional two years there while working in banking. I worked for Bank of America at the same time. Ah, okay. Because uh, I knew that for me, a degree would open the door, but any experience that I had would be the ability to walk through that particular door. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I write about in Elevate Your Leadership, and I see you have your copy there, and thank you so much for, for reading and, and bringing your copy of the book with you. But one of the things I write about are the three things that I think are required for good leadership, and it's education, experience, and training. And, and we don't walk out of college with all those things. You know, you have the education when you walk out of college, but the experience comes over time and you, in your case, you built that experience or you started to build that experience early. And then training these, these kind of micro training events, kind of like what you're doing with the company you're working for here in Virginia beach this week. You know, these are these one or two day training events, but those have a cumulative effect I've noticed over my 26 year military career and 10 years in the private sector. So, so let's talk about your training and the things that you're doing now. How does mindfulness, you know, to just kind of get to the thesis of this discussion, how does mindfulness affect leadership? Well, if I, if I can, Bob, I want to go back for just a second, because I think there's sure. something that might help the listener. Sure. And that's recognizing a definition of what mindfulness is. I don't want to charge into this conversation and miss. I love that. defining things. Yeah. I'm okay. surprised I didn't ask you that. I love definitions. Oh yeah. I know. I, I saw, saw that in, in your book and, and that that's part of it is that, that lifelong learning piece. That's why, why I have your book with me is being willing to pick up that book that might be something different or new for you, um, be it accounting or leadership, you know, uh, right now, I've got a book in my briefcase on community building. Mm -hmm. But all of that, for me, I look at it through that lens of mindfulness. And so what exactly is mindfulness? Is it woo-woo? Is it taboo? Is it just the thing you're going to see on a magazine shelf right now? Um, so I, I like to remind people or let them know mindfulness is a fancy word that's basically defined by John Kabat-Zinn as the practice of being fully present in the moment with non-judgment. And the key to that is two things. Practice. This is not something that you're going to master. This is a skill that's going to be transformative throughout your life. You're going to have good days and bad days and interesting days. 
The second piece of that definition is without judgment. Our world is hardwired for judgment. Big time. Big time. So it's, it's, we're not bad people because we walk into a room and go, man, I don't like that wallpaper. We're not good people because we walk in and go, oh my gosh, I love this particular person. It's coming to that mindful awareness that says, wait, I'm judging that as good or I'm judging that as bad and letting that judgment go and staying open to what's possible for you in that moment. So framing up mindful leadership as every leader continuously practicing the ability to center and be present in the good times and in those challenging times, first for yourself as a personal skill, and second, to be able to be that present one-on-one with small groups and with larger groups as you advance the impact you're trying to have in this world. So much to that. One of the things that I've realized over uh, the course of my lifetime is the the mindfulness that you're talking about. You have to be, at least I think through my experience, I had to have a lot of experiences to even be able to embrace the concept of mindfulness. Like at 18, I wasn't ready for that. Or at 21, I wasn't ready for that. At 25, I probably wasn't re- ready for that. Um, but beyond 25, I was probably ready to start embracing because I, I, there's you're just unaware. I was just so unaware of so many things when I was younger. What's the point of entry or when is it a good time to introduce mindfulness? I mean, we have mindfulness in the workplace. We have mindfulness at home. Please tell us, you know, what's uh, how do we how do we introduce this and then maintain it? You know, you're asking the question I get asked most often. I speak on corporate stages and almost always the question comes up, not about the workplace from an audience. It comes up from how do I do this with my kids? Sure. And people are surprised to learn your kids are already doing this. Mindfulness in the schools has been a movement that was just starting before the the pandemic happened and has really launched as a result of this. We know our kids are struggling mentally and we're willing to invest time, money, and resources into that. It's doing that for ourselves as the adults in a relationship that often isn't happening. This isn't a skill that we learned when we were in school. So we assume our kids don't have it, but that's not necessarily true. So I'm inviting the people that I'm training in corporate workplaces to say, you don't have to go to an ashram or a mountaintop or a church or go be away from people to be mindful. In fact, what if mindfulness was one of your superpowers? Invite your kids into your practice, invite your coworkers into the practice so that it becomes an integrated part of your particular day. Like we did here on the podcast. Sure. You could do that type of thing. You know, one of the most popular practices is called stop and anybody can do it and invite their kids into it. And it's simply an acronym, S-T-O-P, stop, take a breath, observe and proceed. And, you know, finding a place throughout your day that that could fit. For me, I say to adults, especially anytime you're driving or if you're on mass transit or on you're on your bike or your skateboard, you're going to come across a stop sign. You're going to come across a stoplight instead of, oh my God, I have to stop. Wait, this is a moment for mindfulness. Take a breath, look to the left, look to the right and proceed. That is really brilliant. And very infrequently do I stop, if you will, but- I do it very consciously at times, like this morning, for example, the traffic was like unusually thick 
the 20 year old Bob or the 30 year old Bob would be like, get the hell out of my way. I got someplace to go. What's <laughs> going on up there. Right. But the 57 year old Bob says, Oh, okay. I'm going to be at this traffic signal for a little while. <laughs> let me, uh, let me get that podcast going or let me, let me just be in the moment, you know, take advantage of this brief little moment, you know, without, without becoming a hazard on the roadway. But I totally get that. Totally get that. What about, you mentioned kids and, you know, my kids are 18. I have twins, a son and a daughter, and it's really cool. And I have to think about what you just said is, and how it would apply to each of my children. My children are very different, even though they're twins, they're two completely different people. But have you worked with, you know, adolescents or teens or the most the question you're asked the most, how do we incorporate this? I know you kind of told us, but specifically, like if you have a teen who seems to be not following true north, if you will, how can parents use mindfulness in that capacity? Well, I've twins in my life too. Uh, my husband has a 22 year old uh, twin girls who also are just human beings who share the same birth date, very, very different people doing life in the ways that is highest and best for them. And I think as parents, it's really important. And again, as executive leaders, this is a skill that could transcend families. Put your ears on your heart and take a moment to not just listen to what they're saying to you, but use your skill of empathy and compassion to listen to what they're not saying to you. And being really intuitive about the questions that you ask. And then listen with your ears on your heart. In today's AI, chatbot, technology-enabled world, that quote um, by Maya Angelou still still applies. You know, people will, re they may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, as somebody who hasn't had had kids in my life my whole life, uh, being a, being a stepmom and being in various aspects, I think the way I've been able to make the most difference in children's lives and in stage life or in speaker life is mindful, be fully present, put my ears on my heart, ask a question and give people time to respond. And that's what I'm so excited about as we reemerge and redesign workplaces and family lives going forward is nobody's ever rebuilt after a pandemic. Thank goodness. So any place within us that we're saying we have to have the answers is an opportunity to say, maybe we have the opportunity to ask the best questions right now and really create what is family life going to look like for our family without judgment, being fully present to the resources, the energy, the lifestyle, where you live and make it the highest and best you can for yourself. Wow. So many things come to mind as you say that. One of them is the non-judgment. Again, my, my experience, the more I can be non-judgmental, the easier it is to, to, to see things more clearly and get through whatever that situation is. And, and that's an ex, that's a daily exercise unto itself. You know, you have to tell yourself, I have to tell myself, don't judge the, the person or the situation. Let's, let's just examine the factors here and, and move forward. The other thing that comes to mind, and this will sound kind of silly to a lot of people, but I was reading this other book and the author talked about, you know, when it comes to doing chores at home and things like that, rather than consider them a burden, consider them a privilege. You know, I get to prepare dinner for my family as opposed to somebody who has no family and doesn't have that opportunity. You know, I get to 
do these different things, which seem like mundane chores and they, they seem like things that are unpleasant, but in the grand scheme of things, they can be, and they are very meaningful. There's, I don't know if that, if that's mindfulness there, but you know, something else that I thought was really important. Bob, I want to add, add something to that, that I think will serve here is a, a lot of times parents accidentally say, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted and I have to take Johnny to baseball practice, or I have, you know, my whole weekend is full of, you know, kids activities. Right. And I, I like to remind people that's not a privilege afforded to everyone. And so that wow. does speak wow. to that practice of gratitude, that there are many men and women and couples out in the world today who are trying to have children and that for whatever reason, isn't showing up in their life experience. So keeping that gratitude at every level in your life even on the day you're a little exhausted. I have a, a mindfulness practice where we, if you're accidentally in a negative spiral, oh, I'm so exhausted. Oh, I'm so exhausted. That take the first letter of the negative word and flip it to a positive word. So exhausted becomes excited. You know, I'm in, in grief becomes gratitude. Everybody has a chapter and we wear a lot of hats, parenthood being a big one, if that's in your life or CEO could be a big one, but utilizing that, that you were just talking about that sense of gratitude is a huge one in this presentation. I did give yesterday, I gave the gratitude tip, um, Oprah made gratitude journals famous. Okay. And it's great. It's great. It's wonderful. But I, I'm not one who needed to carry one more little journal or have a journal. I mean, I've got libraries yeah. of books on my nightstand. Yeah. So I created about three years ago an, a Google Doc, make it an Excel spreadsheet, something I could carry with me all of the time. Okay. And in electronic in, format. In an electronic format. And I just, you know, date what I'm grateful for. And every Friday before I leave my office, I just pull out that Excel spreadsheet and I put down personal professional fund things that I'm grateful for. And I started the practice and then more things to be grateful for came and more positive things came from it. And every year I just add another tab to the Excel spreadsheet. Now I've had multiple years of this tab and it's fun to get to go look back and things that you might not remember that you had the opportunity to do show up again and you might do them again or practice them again. And people in the audience really love that practice. I think your listeners might like it too, as a way to keep track of what you're grateful for and watch it expand in your life. I love that. So we did in my household, we did the jar, yeah. you know, and it was fun when we did it. And, and it's funny because my wife, she's like, Hey, I don't see the pieces of paper in the jar. <laughs> she's like, it's tomorrow's Friday those pieces of paper need to be in the jar by tomorrow, right? So a little stress as we develop gratitude and, and uh, appreciation. Um, but then when we open the jar and we share it, and then I say to my daughter, you know, why did you write this? Just that little 30 second story behind it. Those are great little moments of exploration and, and understanding. So I think that over time, the way you just mentioned that over time, to look back and extract the value. There's tremendous value there that can benefit you for the rest of your life. I love that. Okay. Are we ready to go to books? Can we talk about uh, the four books you've written and why you wrote them and what's next? You know, again, leaders have to be willing to say yes to the thing they thought they would never do. I never went out saying, oh, I'm going to be an award-winning best-selling author, but you say yes. And suddenly a word becomes a sentence, becomes a paragraph becomes a blog, blog becomes a chapter that becomes a book. And I, and I go through each of those steps that if, if you're out there listening to this and, and you got something you want to say that it didn't just become a book 
be willing to just put in those little seeds that are going to grow. So that was probably 2014. Wow. I had this concept for a book and it was called, at the time it was called Control Alt Delete. Uh-huh, that's... Re- reboot your association for success. I'm dating myself. Yeah, that was that. the blue screen of death days when you you know hit the buttons on yeah. the screen and it went blue screen. And wrote wrote it all out. It was all on association leadership. And the very last day I was showing it to a friend and said, no, Holly, this isn't what, this is the wrong tie. This is not right. And I said, what? She goes, believe. And I go, I didn't hear you. She goes, control out, believe. This is all about what you believe about your organization. Oh. I was like, oh my gosh, you're so right. And we, you know, made a few tweaks to the book and and rewrote it. And we started started selling it. That became my first speaking tour. I did a virtual book tour. I had 50 friends in 50 states. Everybody hosted an online book tour. Now, this was like 2014, 20. I mean, this was before Zoom. But you just start, you start sharing with people. So that, that was the first book on association excellence. Uh, the next one was The Mindful Leadership, The Stress-Free Guide to Mindful Leadership. That's... Uh, totally different take. It's an adult mandala coloring book. Uh, Mindfulness, scientifically proven that when you color, you reduce your stress. You can even do it on the the podcast today. Just take a minute and think about the smell of a color crayon and feel what happens in your body. So I created, I took the the, every letter of the alphabet, A to Z, and, and put a positive word with it and a positive story. Um, the next one is Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. That's an, a daily inspirational reader. You talk in your book about, you know, every day doing something to center yourself. Mm-hmm. And this book is a guidebook for people. So it has a daily quote, a place for you to pick your word of the day and an inspirational story. And each month has a different theme to it. Uh, March yesterday, I was reading the book and it's, you know, everywhere I am is exactly where I need to be. And it was a, a, a quote from a singer songwriter, uh, Amy Steinberg. And I had everybody in the room sort of pick their word for the day that could ground them in moments of challenge. And then the fourth book uh, is called uh, Sell More. Stress Less, 52 Tips to Be a Mindful Sales Professional. And I co-authored that with a man named Eric Szymanski. And that takes his work in the high stress field of sales. He was a top seller for Hilton, Marriott, Starwood, and Disney. And my mindfulness background, and we weave them together into a tip a week book for sales professionals to have a positive mindset with affirmations. It's a journal where you can journal your thoughts about the sales process in a mindful way and then stories of success. That's really cool. So this man you co-authored with Eric Szymanski also happens to be your husband. And so that was, uh, was that a fun project co-authoring? It is a fun project, but again, you have to let go of the attachment and stay in the now we, I made a commitment. We were going to make that book have a birth date. And if you're an author out there, any major project you want to do in your life, if you give it a, a deadline, a lifeline, as I call it, the day it's going to come to life, uh, it helps you stay motivated through the process. So our lifeline was it was going to come out on National Salesperson's Day, which happened to be like December 13th of 2018. Uh, so we reverse engineered success. We had 36 days. We wrote, designed, edited, and made it a number one uh, new release in four categories in 36 days. Now, I don't tell you that to go out and do it that way, but find your 
your pathway to, to that. If you make a dentist appointment or a haircut appointment with mindfulness for your self-care, you're not going to miss that appointment with mindfulness for the commitment you made to the person providing that service to you. You're going to make that appointment. So make an appointment with yourself, whether it's writing a book, a blog, having an experience with your family, traveling, that you're going, going to make it happen. And when you give it a lifeline, it happens. So that's, that's how Eric and I, I wrote the book. And now we're speaking and coaching together with that book. I love the way you change the word deadline to lifeline. Is that, is that Holly Duckworth, like original content? Cause that's brilliant. It, it is the way I do it. I haven't heard it from anybody else. I don't know if it's original content per se, but we, it's, you know, so often things, things die when we complete them or it's a deadline for me, energetically giving it a lifeline gives it excitement and energy. You talk all about your book, about how the energy you put around something matters, words matter. So I don't call mine a bucket list. I call it a life list. <laughs> you know, what do I want to do with, with my, my life? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Holly, this is just fascinating. So are all of your books listed on your website? What, what is your website? Um, hollyduckworth.com is a great way to find us. Okay. Yeah. Leadership and, Solutions, INTL is, is also out there for Eric's My Work Together. Okay, good. And and are all of your books available or listed on your website? Yeah, they're on the website and they're all on Amazon. So Holly, while you were here, you had a chance to fly. You experienced the I Fly Virginia Beach flight experience yesterday. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, we opened, opened my show by saying, you know, you say yes and you show up and you know, what, what are those opportunities around you in your life? So we drove by iFly. I said, yes, gave you a call. And the experience at iFly is absolutely a yes for anybody. And I, I have to, to give the behind the scenes on it, which is you have to know that there's one thing on my life list that I never had to do skydiving. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I didn't actually remember that that was what we were doing and that that was on my my never have to do list until I'm in the training room. Uh-huh. And I if you are in that category that I was in, say yes to iFly because you have the opportunity to go through and meet your your coach and that person companions you through the whole experience that you feel greeted and heard and seen from watching the training video and learning the hand signals uh, to getting your, your earplugs and your eye protection. You feel so safe and, and ready to have the adventure that's custom for you. You get in a small group. Some some of people have done it before and they, they want to go high and, and have learning for how to turn. And then you have some people who are brand spanking new and they're terrified and they're not really sure what they've even gotten into. But that's a metaphor for life and for leadership. For sure, yeah. And you, you get to do this in world-class technology from the tube to the cameras, to the video. I mean, 
everything is so state of the art. So I, we, we go in, we get our locker after we've had our training, put on our helmets, get some photos, pre-flight, pre-flight photos. (laughs) Um, And when, once you, you enter the tube, you, you have that mindful moment of putting your hands in the right place, putting your feet in the right place. And at least for me, you don't do it right the first time, but, but how do you trust yourself and listen and use all of your senses to, to get in the best position for your flight experience? Um, and I had the opportunity to do it a few times. You know, you, you come out, you, you watch your video if you want to, and then you go back in and you, you tweak it and then you, you get to go again. And I, I'm, I love that about the iFly experience because it's much like life. You're, you're refining and you get to be, be a little bit better. And the next time you get a little bit better, but you got to start somewhere. And by diving in to just say yes to life and see what shows up, it's, it was a great experience here at iFly. And it is a metaphor for my life. And I think for leaders going forward, if you say yes, you just, you'll never be uh, disappointed at the experiences you can have. You know, Holly, I've owned and operated iFly Virginia Beach for nine years. <clears throat> and you just described the flight experience better than I ever have uh, over the entire nine years. That was incredible. You had Zach as your instructor. And Zach, like all of our instructors, are very deliberate to be in the experience with you. So rather than deliver the experience to you, we want to participate with you. And I think you just really described that very well. So it's a real conscious effort on our part. The other thing is mindfulness. When you are in the flight chamber and flying, like you said, a little little hand movement here or there, and it really affects your flight trajectory. You have to be in that moment, you know, flying, um, getting your body positioning right. Well, if I, if I can add to it, thinking about it from a business owner perspective or a meeting planner perspective, we have in meetings, we talk about before, during, and after. You've got all the work you do before you go to the meeting, once you get on site at a meeting or con- conference, and then then after. You've been intentional about that here at iFly too. When you walk into this facility, clean impeccable. You interact with a human being. I think again, in a chatbot world, meeting a human who greets you in a warm way. Yes, you're guided to a a technology device where you fill out the proper forms and everything. And from that moment forward, everything is personalized. You get a wristband with your name on it. Your instructor calls you by name. And that's all before you even start. Then as we were just talking about in the chamber, you're having this experience and you have the sights, the sounds, the smells, the taste, the feel, like all of that. If you allow yourself to relax and center fully into it. And then you have the post experience when you come out of the chamber. If you want, you can get pictures again. You take off your flight suit. You get to learn about how it's all handled. Your hair looks wonderful at that point. (laughs) Your helmets go. Um, But again, you know, safety, health, and and security is in in all aspects of it. And then after the fact, you get this personalized certificate. And we'll make sure um, in the video, if you want, you get to see my my certificate. Absolutely. You get get a memento of what are the the things that you got to to learn and and experience and, and the photos and the video to prove it. So if you're thinking about iFly, do it. But also, if you're thinking about it as a business owner, come out and see what Bob's created here and how you can infuse that before, after, and during experience to have a world-class experience. Wow. Thank you so much. What haven't I asked you? What is of value to the listeners? You there's, you have so much to offer, Holly. What can we offer as we wrap things up here? 
Oh, wow. That's a big, big question. To, That's what everybody says when I ask. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's a big, big question. You know, I think I'm, I'm going to leave them with a, a question, which is the question that I asked Eric when he entered in, into my life looking for mindfulness. And it was the question that really changed his outlook on being a stressed out salesperson. And that question was, does it have to be this way? Does life have to be stressful? Does life have to be chaotic? And your mindset, your ability to control and flow with the experiences you're having in life and make it most positive, most positive, most positive can be really key. And ultimately he, he said, no, my life doesn't have to be this stressful. And from that decision, he was able to recreate the people, the places, the experiences that he wanted to have as his life experience. And I think that question can be a really powerful mindfulness experience for people as we come out of this pandemic to really choose mindfulness as we go forward. Holly Duckworth, what a fascinating discussion. Uh, how fortunate am I and how fortunate are our listeners that you and I were able to connect uh, during your your business trip here to Virginia Beach. Thank you so much for coming on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I dot com and connect with him on LinkedIn.